It's our show, Christy. We can do whatever we want. Let's show them how to do life. Season three! Oh boy, here it comes. Even though we've done this show like 250 times, I still have no idea what I'm talking about. We may not know what we're doing, but we're having fun. <laughs> I was born for this. I was born for this. The only way the out is way up. Out this is how this to do life. How to do life. Hey, pretties, it's Chrissy. And it's Heather. And here's producer John. To hype the crowd! Just a quick warning. How to do life with Chrissy and Heather contains elements of real life, nostalgia, silliness, deep thinking, and other nonsense and whatnot. If you are adverse to any of these ingredients, this show may not be for you. So be sure to talk to your doctor and all your friends about how to do life. Let's get into it. Welcome to the show, the beginning of May. Can you believe it? I absolutely cannot believe it. We are standing on the cusp of summer. We are on the precipice yes. of a new season. Yes. It, it, like 2020 is still doesn't feel super over. I know. And it's May. Like it's almost halfway. I know. And so much has changed since January. Mm-hmm. Life is um, is continuing to roll out and we are riding the wave. And taking it as it comes. My uh, children's school has scheduled the first event of the school year that parents can attend in person. Wow. It happens on the second to last day of school. (laughs) But, and it's outdoors. Yeah. But it's It's pretty exciting for some reason. Like, I'm really, really excited. Especially it is for my um, son and it is the last activity before moving to middle school so i thought that we weren't going to get to have any of those end of you know elementary rites of passage right and we're getting to have one oh that's exciting that's exciting um i'm trying to wrap my head around the fact that our school year is going into the middle of june because we started so late and we have to do a certain number of days and um yeah i'm not sure who that's going to be tougher on me or the kids I'm not either. Or the teachers. I send you all the all the good vibes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, please keep me in your thoughts and <laughs> prayers. <laughs> I do. I do. The day that this show comes out will be Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. I love Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, me too. Cinco de Mayo is fun. Like, there's really no point to it. It's not like a no. meaningful thing at all. It's just fun. And it's I never fun. do any Cinco de Mayo stuff. I just like the day. And I like saying Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. Um, my daughter asked me if we could have tacos that day, and I said, sure. So. Yeah. I was going to tell a bunch of Cinco de Mayo jokes. Oh, great. I love it when you tell jokes. Oh, but then I read some, and I was like, I don't think I, we can say this stuff anymore. Like, they were pretty Oh, offensive. are they offensive? I didn't think they were offensive, but everything's offensive these days. Oh, so tell me a couple anyways. I can't, I didn't, I can't even remember any. Mm. I'll, I'd have to look them up. Oh, I yeah. want to know the offensive joke. <laughs> Well, um, we'll have to post some on our Facebook page and then people can let us know whether or not they were offensive or they were offended by them. Okay. Yeah. Um, But I do have, instead of um, Cinco de Mayo jokes, I have a recommendation to make. Now here's part of the show where Chrissy and Heather tell us what to do. Well, might I recommend... So while you are eating your unlimited chips and salsa and having a margarita on a Wednesday. Mm, mango we, margarita. Do, mm-hmm. The El Jalisco in Tallahassee, Florida. There are several of them. Mm-hmm. Y'all get the frozen mango margarita. Ooh, it is the bomb. That sounds so good. good. Well, um, I recommend doing a little history lesson for yourself. Because, you know, these kinds of days where we are celebrating culture, and, um, you know, different kind of like 
different countries and the way that they do things. Um, it makes me think about this book that I'm reading right now in a book club. It's called, um, shoot, the name of it is, is escaping me. <laughs> Unworthy Republic by Unworthy Claudia Republic. Sant. Okay. And um, it's, a, it's very, very informative and also um, kind of traumatizing because it's about the forced migration of indigenous people oh. from their lands um, to other areas of the country. And one of the things that we are starting to do in this group is learning about the indigenous people who lived on the land that we now live on. Okay. And it turns out that um, there is this website, native-land.ca. It's based out of Canada. And it's an, it's an interactive map where you can put in your address and it will tell you which native people... You stole it from? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And um, I learned that here in Tallahassee, I wasn't surprised to learn that we're on the Miccosukee mm-hmm. land, which um, was Muscogee, mm-hmm. um, belonging to the Creek Nation. And most of the area where we live was Creek. Okay. And then, of course, it was taken forcibly. And so it's interesting to, I always sit on my property and I do often wonder what happened here before we were here right you know like when Mm -hmm. explorers were were in our area or even before then like Mm -hmm. what did this look like there's a spot on my property that looks like it used to be a road oh yeah and now it's like like i thought it was you can still see remnants of that well i thought it was a ditch Uh uh-huh and then um as i looked at it from another perspective it looked like it used to be a path it used to be a road and it's wide enough to have been a road interesting and like a narrow road but Mm -hmm. a road for like a like a horse or a mm-hmm. carriage. Mm-hmm. And um, and I like to think about, you know, what was this before it was my house? Mm-hmm. You know? And so I really recommend going to check that out and find out. I, I learned that now, where I live now, is um, used to belong to the Creek Nation. Where I grew up belonged to the Choctaws. Yeah. And it's interesting to read about the migration of, of those people. So go to native-land.com. Dot ca we'll post it on our on our page and it'll be in the show notes um, and of, find out where you where who lived on the land before you lived there all of the um nations i guess groups that you listed all i could think of were songs like <laughs> you know like there's one that has something about choctaw run and there's one that goes the creek's up rising uh-huh. and, and, yeah so all i can think of is like i guess we used to write a lot of music about it <laughs> well it's old music it's old music. We're not allowed to talk about Native Americans anymore. And we're certainly not allowed to call them Indians or do any of the, like, you know, the Cleveland Indians got rid of Chief Wahoo. We're not allowed to have Wahoo anymore. And our woo mm-hmm. we're not allowed to have that. Um, I've learned. As a society, I guess. <laughs> I've but learned I miss a Chief lot. Wahoo. He was adorable. I've learned a lot in this book club. Um, and we have speakers come and, and talk to us who are indigenous people. And they share with us some of their perspective of of stories that they've heard and um and they refer to themselves as indians really mm-hmm. see and we i asked like how should we refer to you and and sherry shari is in my book club and, mm-hmm. and she asked you know what please share the terminology that we should use and they said indian you know that's really interesting to me like we've had conversation you know on this show 
with um, black people, and we, you know, we're like we're allowed to call you black people, right? You know, and that is today's preference. You know, like you can say African Americans, but true African Americans are, you know, and we we've had a lot of conversation with our friends of color, but I don't really know any Indians or any Native American peoples, you know, and I mean they they stay mostly in, on their reservations, I think, and you know, often, you know, are not a part of our day-to-day society so I didn't I didn't know that and you're right we should always if we can find the group that we're speaking about and ask how to best represent them yeah I don't Duh. know anybody. why don't we do that yeah. you know good for you well I've, I've been finding it interesting and it's been opening my eyes and I recommend checking that out because um, you may look at where you live differently and um, and kind of just expand your curiosity about what do, what was this land before I was here? This is a perfect historical Heather project. Too. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, in the grab bag, I have stories of three other places that have caught my attention this week and made me think about things differently. So let's jump in. What? Is what that? did they come up with now? Ew, not that let's one. see what's in the grab bag. I think I've got it. I've mentioned this show that I have enjoyed watching a few times, but I'm going to talk about it again. It's called Still Standing. Mm-hmm. And this is a, um, a show that I've been watching on um, Amazon Prime. And it, it stars um, a guy named Johnny Harris who goes around to small Canadian towns that are dying out. Mm-hmm. And he just tells their story and shines a spotlight on them, and he does a comedy show incorporating all of the lore and characters of their city. I love that. And it's really fun to watch. I need to watch that. You have talked about it before, and I have not looked it up yet. I need to watch that. Well, one of the towns that he um, that he shared is a place that I never knew existed, and I'm now pretty fascinated by. It's called Buxton. 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 Um, you can look it up, B-U-X-T-O-N. It'll be in the show notes. But Buxton is a town just over the, um, the the line between the United States and Canada. And it is one of the places where the Underground Railroad ended. Oh. A man named Reverend William King was a minister in Louisiana who um, had inherited 15 enslaved people after the death of his father-in-law. And in 1849, the Presbyterian Church sent him to Canada as a missionary. He was an abolitionist, and he brought his slaves because he knew that if he left them behind, they would just be re-enslaved. And he and those people formed the community of North Buxton, and they created a safe haven for people who were escaping slavery. Wow. And um, what a good guy. Yeah, it was fascinating. And the story of this town was just partly completely common sense and then partly amazing. You know, the common sense part is that it's, it's not unlike any other town that you would ever be in. But the amazing part is that it was able to thrive in the time that it did. And it does seem like it was this safe haven. Is it a largely black community? And I assume that the white people were all from pretty much one family, right? So is there a lot of mixed people there now? or you know, like That's a good question. I don't know. The I demographics mean, would be interesting. The demographics from the program that I watched seemed that it is primarily a black community. Mm-hmm. 
and that if there are white people who live there, that they, you know, they have, they were not, their families do not have a long lineage. Gotcha. That they've moved in relatively recently. Mm -hmm. um, but what's really interesting to me about this, this town is that they have um, a bell that would be rung whenever a new family would arrive in the town, if they reached Buxton, then they would ring the bell and everybody in the town knew that a new family had escaped slavery oh, wow. and they would come out and help them build a house. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. I love that. It's really cool. And I, I really encourage everybody to check it out um, and read about it and learn about it. And so I have a question um, about for you about this. And what makes me think about Buxton is, what Buxton makes me think about is a place where you know you are safe. Is there a place, a town, an environment where you know you are safe and how you can create that for other people? Oh, gosh, what a good question. Um, I don't know. I feel like I do a lot of bitching about my current community. <laughs> like, there's a lot of nonsense in my current community. There's a lot of, like, bougie bitchiness and whatnot. But there's also... A real true sense of community. I feel very comfortable in my neighborhood letting my kids, you know, go down to the restaurant on their own, um, letting them, you know, go out and ride bikes and go back and forth between their dad's house and mine. You know, it's about a mile and a half, whatever. Um, I'm really, really comfortable there. I do feel like it's kind of in a little bubble, you know. And sometimes your bubble can be very annoying, obviously. You know, like sometimes you get tired of that. But they also really band together Um a few weeks ago, one of my friends needed something, like something big, you know, and kind of just put out on the community page, I need this big stuff. Mm -hmm. And all of it just arrived on their porch. Like everything that they needed was there, you know. And that I thought was just absolutely tremendous strangers, you mm -hmm. know, showing up with things that, you know, here, I, I thought this might help, you know. And I think that that is a real, a real cool thing when you have a place that, you know, everybody kind of, if, if they rally around a cause, they pitch in and really take care of each other and really take care of other communities, too. Like after the hurricanes and things, I've seen big rally in my neighborhood. You know, someone will park a U-Haul truck in our community center and it will be full by noon, mm -hmm. you know, and able to head out to a hurricane site. So I think, I mean, I do feel pretty safe there, you know, and I feel very well informed there, too. We had a... um registered sex offender move into the neighborhood mm -hmm. fairly recently and the mommy mafia you know the uh <laughs> the uh the page was all lit up about it the guy was spotted at the park like talking to people and it was on the page and the police were alerted and i mean in some ways it was a little bit of overkill like do we really need to talk about it on this page can't we just you know let the police handle this but in other ways you know like it gave me an opportunity to talk with my children and show them a photo and say if you see this guy you know you go straight home and you guys stay together when you're out and just you know a little bit of education you know that I was able to provide because my community keeps each other so in the loop. Yeah, I think that, you know, we've talked previously about the um, the decline of local news. Right. And and that, you know, leading to a feeling of disconnectedness among people who are in communities together. It also makes me wonder about how we can create that for others and how we can create a safe haven for other people to, so that they know that they can come to us. 
And that's something that I just challenge our listeners to think about. You know, where do you feel safe and how can you create a safe haven for others just like, um, just like you know, Reverend King did in, um, in Buxton? So this next town that I want to tell you about, it's not really a town. It's it, this, it's this is community in China. And I don't know how, whether or not I am pronouncing it correctly. But I this, bet you're not. Probably not. <laughs> this is in southwest China in the far eastern foothills of the Himalayas. It's an ancient tribal community of Tibetan Buddhists called the Mosu. Mosu. The Mosu. This is a community where there are no fathers. No fathers? There are no fathers. What do you mean? There's no marriage. Oh, that sounds amazing. Nuclear families <laughs> do not exist. The grandmother is the head of the family. Yeah, that's right. Her sons and daughters live with her forever, along with the oh, children of their daughters. <laughs> and the it is a matriarchal society. I do like the matriarchal idea. That's fun. Men are really just sperm donors, hmm. but they do serve a role as uncle to the children who are being raised in their mother's home. Wait, so even if they are the birth father, do they have any rights? No. Oh, no, they I don't they, like that they, so much. They provide the sperm, and they you know, and then their job is done, and they and they go back to their mother's house where they are uncle to the children there. I, I don't I don't know about that so much. There's a woman named Chu Wai Hung. She is a lawyer, um, and who lived in a metropolitan um, area, and she became. I'm curious about this this group of people. And so she left her job in 2006 to travel and learn. Um, And she ended up in China, the country of her ancestors. And she decided to go and learn about how these people live. Children are born out of wedlock, which is unusual in China. But to the Mosu, marriage is inconceivable. A child is fatherless simply because their society pays no heed to fatherhood. Men and women practice what is known as a walking marriage. What's that mean? They have a relationship, but they're not legally bound to each other. Gotcha. So it's just boyfriend, girlfriend forever, Mm -hmm. which is actually pretty nice. Wouldn't it be nice to sleep in your own bed and nobody snores at you or anything? Like, I like this for my life, personally. I'm a big fan of this. (laughs) Women own and inherit property. They run the households. The men provide strength, plowing, building, repairing homes, pretty much manpower. Mm -hmm. The men have no paternal responsibilities. And it's not uncommon for women to not really know who the father of their child is. And I wonder, is this really liberating to women? I mean, probably. Like, it sounds remotely like my life currently. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I mean, I think it's really, like... I don't, when I see especially second marriages, Mm -hmm. a lot of the problems in second marriage seem to erupt from the parenting of one another's children. And I do feel at this point in my life, my children and I have a very good system. It's a very strong system. And if somebody came in and couldn't get on board with my system and wanted to disrupt it or wanted to parent in a different way, 
that person would not be able to survive in our family unit. So I do think that it gives, like for me, when I became single, I also became the maker of all the rules, the maintainer of all the systems, the teacher of all the things. And that's a role that I'm very good at and that I relish. And so it probably does provide a sense of self and a sense of power and a sense of um, responsibility to the next generation in a, in a slightly different way. I would agree with you. Um, I think that the area where I have questions is wondering what opportunities are there available to women other than giving birth and raising children in this society? Right. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, they have, they have decision-making, but it seems like the only role of women is to continue to have babies. Right. And that must be difficult. Yeah. I just don't know whether you have a choice. I don't that. know if I was the grandmother and all my kids and all their kids lived with me. I might be like, y'all need to get the hell out. You know, like there comes a time in every parent's life <laughs> when it's time right. for your little one to get the hell out. We're raising them for them to go away. And in this society, we're not. And I mean, I say to my kids all the time, I'm like, I'm raising you to get out on your own you know, and take care of yourselves. I would not like to take care of them until I die. That would not be. Well, and not everybody wants to have children. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't want to, if you're a little Moana and you want to take a different path, maybe you don't get that choice, you know? Well, the woman who came, who went to study, um, or to, went to live with them and to learn about their culture um, noticed that um, she felt as if people were pitying her for not having born children yeah and that the expectation was that women have children and um and that was interesting because i wondered in this society that is painted as being this this really this very feminist liberating society for women is it still trapping them into right. this expectation mm -hmm. of motherhood interesting yeah yeah look at you finding all the interesting cities well there's one other spot and it's in canada and it's called minto minto it's in manitoba Okay. Population 100. Oh, tiny. And there was a man who lived there um, when he was a kid. And he attended school there. And he left in the 1940s and went off to make a fortune on the West Coast in the construction industry. Okay. No one remembers this person. But he gave $12 million dollars in a charitable fund and this little town of Minto gets an annual lump of money hmm. to build um, programs and enrichment for children. Wow. And nobody remembers who this person was, but the town made enough of an impact on him that he has made this gift. And now he's made an impact on the town, but they don't know him as a person how yeah. interesting he it's kind of like he's this um this this ben you know he's this benefactor who has gifted them this and they don't know where to say thank you right mm -hmm. and so i'm curious to know about about this is there would you ever see yourself making an anonymous gift and then just leaving i think so i could see myself doing that i totally could because I, I don't like Sometimes you don't want the praise 
necessarily, you know, you want to do the right thing. Like, like if you're giving it to like a, a dear friend, you probably want them to know that it was you and that, you, you know, but if you're giving it to a community or to, I, I don't know, I, I could see that. I really could. Me too. I think I would rather be anonymous because I don't want to get I've, caught up in it. I've always said that I would like to have fortune and not fame. You know what I mean? So, um, uh, it's, I've talked before about how it's weird even like when I owned my company and like I would go to one of my sites and I would be treated like so different. Like you're, you're treated almost like a celebrity. And people are like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm meeting you. Like it, it's super weird because yeah. you're not, you're just, you're your normal self. You know, it must be how like real celebrities feel, you know, mm-hmm. like they must feel like I'm just a person who walks on the set and says these lines, you know, and people lose their minds, you know, like, and I don't I don't think I would like that in my life. I, I like to be anonymous enough. You know, we are doing a, a audio program, not a video program, you know, <laughs> and I think that there's perhaps some reason for that. You know, like I don't mind it. Like I, I, I don't mind public speaking. I don't mind, you know, I, I, I like attention, you know, but I also don't I don't I, I feel uncomfortable sometimes with excessive praise, I guess. I'm the same way, and I always wonder whether or not somebody wants to be my friend because of that or because they actually like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I I was captivated by that story because I I really like the idea of coming in and being helpful without it being a big thing. Yeah, big deal. And I love that this... Like, you don't have to have a parade for me or something. Right, yeah. (laughs) And I love that this town that is struggling... And now has what they need. Mm -hmm. And the theme that I see between these three towns is providing people what they need. Mm -hmm. You know, that the town of Buxton is was providing people a safe haven and a place where they could go and and not be afraid that they were going to be um, captured and put back into an enslaved relationship. And this little community in China where... Yeah, they are are providing this place for families to grow and for people to live relatively authentically mm-hmm. and and to live in a different way if they so choose. And then this town that has been given this money so that they can do what they need to do for their children and and hopefully be able to develop the town into something that's really sustainable. And I just loved all of that. Yeah, it's really cool. And it made me feel like I wanted to give the group a little bit of homework. Don't forget your homework. Do a little research about where you live and what that was before you got there and before the people who were there before you got there. And see what you can dig up about the land that you live on. And think about how you can create a safe haven for others and where you feel safe. How you can be in a place where you can be authentically yourself and allow others to do that as well. And how you can help others get what they need and provide the tools and resources that they need. And um, if you have a fun story about a town that has caught your attention, share it with us on our Facebook page, and um, we would love to learn more about them. Now, I am and have also been wondering what you've got on your mind. Are you ready for the five-minute flip? I'm ready. So much to say, so little time. When the clock starts to tick, it's the five-minute flip. Ladies, start your engines. 
been on my mind, Heather. I was driving here this morning, and I was driving by a lawn crew who was out, you know, with their edgers and all their stuff, and it made me remember a time when I was about five years old, and I was in the back seat of my car, and I had decided to sit right next to my baby sister that day. So I sat in the middle seat instead of the edge seat. Mm-hmm. And my parents, my dad was driving, my mom was in the passenger seat, and my parents were driving by an elementary school, mm-hmm. and someone was out mowing the grass. It was a weekend. And the mower hit a rock, mm-hmm. and the rock flew through the window. Through it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, into the seat that I would have been sitting in, broke, shattered the window. There was glass everywhere. You know, um, and I was okay. I had a little cut on my arm, a little bit of glass to be removed. But if I had been in my regular seat, I would have been either hit by the rock or hit, certainly hit by all of the glass, mm-hmm. possibly permanently disfigured. Yeah. And so I was thinking about these kind of like, it's a wonderful life moments. Right. Like these, you know, if you hadn't been there, then the mm-hmm. world would be a different place. And I came up with five times in my life that were like crazy moments like that. I'm going to see if I can squeeze them yeah, in. Yeah, I was going to say, you better talk minutes. fast. All yeah, right, I'm, I'm ready. See if I, so we, we got the driving and the and the car and the rock. Mm-hmm. When I was um, around 12 or 13, I was almost kidnapped. What? Yeah, so I was standing outside. I had been at a piano lesson, and I was standing outside with my little music books outside the Alts Music Center in Fostoria, Ohio, and there was like a... Um, a barricade like for the parking lot you know kind of to keep the cars at bay and I was up there doing gymnastics doing cartwheels and flipping around and waiting for my mom to pull up and a car pulled up with a couple guys in it and they were talking to me and they were trying to get me to come and get in their car and luckily I was savvy enough to be scared and mm-hmm. not to approach them and I ran back into the music center and I stood in line I stood there to wait for her to be done with the customer in front of her <laughs> before I said there's some guys out there and so she ran over and locked the door, and there had been a woman in another shop who had seen this. It had been an upstairs shop, and she'd come running down, and she saw that I was gone and that the car was gone, and she thought they got me. And so she, you know, came in, and she was hugging me and crying. She had a daughter um, who actually became my best friend in late high school, but I didn't know her at mm-hmm. the time. And they sat with me until my mom came. Mm-hmm. My life could have been very different. Yeah. If if uh, I'd been kidnapped, that would have probably been bad. Yeah. Um, I thought about um, once when, still around uh, probably age 12 or 13, a lot happened then, very big. Uh, My parents went out of town for a week. It was like the only vacation they ever took without us. And my sister and I had to go over to the house every day to um, like try to, you know, like feed the dog, stuff like that. And we went in one day and it smelled like smoke. (gasps) And my mom had draped my dad's like work t-shirts over the door of the dryer. Mm. And somehow the bulb had like scorched them and they caught fire Ooh. and I opened the door and when you open the door and added you know oxygen that, yeah. yeah so uh, I got out the fire extinguisher and I saved oh our house <laughs> and then two more two okay. more so um my sister when she was about probably eight which would have made me about 12 so all the uh, <laughs> I saved the world when I was 12 basically um my sister uh was choking on a piece of celery and I did the Heimlich maneuver oh on gosh. her, and I ran to the front of the house uh, to get my mom because I didn't think it worked. And I had brought it up just enough that she was able to like grab the string and wow. get it out. So I saved my sister's life. <laughs> um, so 
there would be no sister. You're welcome, sister. Um, <laughs> I, I Heimlich saved her. Um, and then another time, my sister was in cheerleading. One minute warning. And she uh, <laughs> she was in cheerleading, and she was going to do a basket toss, right? Uh-huh. So they, um, they put... The girls, like four girls, put their hands together. The girl who's going to fly loads in like she bounces into the basket. They toss her straight up in the air. She's supposed to do a little trick and then supposed to land down. They tossed my sister up totally crooked. Uh-oh. And she just fell straight onto the ground. And I was a lifeguard at the time, so I was at least 16. And I lost my mind. And I was like, you have to, like, backboard her. Mm-hmm. Nobody touch. I was like, nobody touch her. You know, like, like I, I lost my mind. I ran inside. I collect called my parents and I was like come get her I want her looked at like I, I thought she was gonna have a spinal cord injury because that's what lifeguarding was all about mm-hmm. you know was how to like manage a spinal cord injury and I made my parents like come and get her and uh she was fine um she was actually sitting up and fine by the time but I blocked that out of my mind I forgot that for like 10 years until wow. my mom told me about it and then it came rushing back so I want everybody to think about your own um <laughs> you- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I tried so hard. I tried so hard. It finally, we finally heard. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. It was like the homework bell. Yeah. It was fine. It was actually fine. Yeah. Okay. It was fine. Well, I, would, I, I would be totally fine with talking over that. Oh. Let's <laughs> <laughs> keep going. It's great. <sighs> wow. I feel a lot of anxiety, though, because I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> That's a rush. So, anyways, yes, these are all these are some pivotal moments, and I want you to think back. I bet you everybody has these in their oh, yeah. history. Everybody has this moment where, like, you could have died, or your sibling could have died, or your parents' house could have caught on fire, or whatever. And we all made it. And yeah, it, like it's it's neat it's, and interesting sometimes to be like, huh, that could like to think about the path that could have happened. Uh-huh. If I would have gotten kidnapped. I certainly wouldn't be sitting here today. You know, who knows what would have happened to me? You it could have been great though. You think? You never know. They were some shady dudes. <laughs> and it probably wouldn't it have been great. It was a creepy car. <laughs> like, I think that that was actually good because the set, it wasn't like a nice vehicle with some like upstanding looking people. Right. So luckily it was shady enough that I was like, this probably is not the way to go. You they know? may have taken you to China to live in a community where. I was the matriarch. Just, yeah. Who knows? Like, I guess, but I don't think they had those means and ways necessarily, <laughs> but. What an interesting show, talking about uh, Cinco de Mayo and indigenous lands and communities doing things in different ways and near-life, near-death experiences. Somehow, like, as I was thinking of this five-minute flip, I was like, this kind of ties in with the community thing, but I still don't quite know how. Like, I felt like there was, like, this was, like, the personal version instead of the community version. Hey, man, that's that's the show that we made today. (laughs) This is the show that we made today. And I hope everybody loved it. Yeah. Until next time. Bye. Don't forget to tell them where to find us. Yeah, tell us what you learned. We're on all the things. For those of you looking to increase your dosage, connect with Chrissy and Heather on Facebook and Instagram and tell us how you do life. Visit ChrissyandHeather.com. That's with a C-H-R-Y-S-S-Y. Like, share, and subscribe. And tell everyone you know. Until next time. Bye.